Hey everyone, before we get into this part of the episode, I do want to give a content warning that this part two of chapter 30 is going to heavily discuss Starling's history, and that does carry a content warning about um, sexual assault because we do dive into her traumas in the past and how she is dealing and coping with those. So we, we don't discuss details about all that stuff, but we will have a deep conversation about those circumstances and what has come out of it. So just warning you all, just in case, please treat yourselves nicely and maybe we'll see you next episode if we need to. Starling goes on to explain a little bit more of her side and her feelings here. How she used to live by the same rules as everybody else. She used to feel, you know, to, to measure, what is, what's the saying? Measure your bushel by the whatever it is. I don't remember. <laughs> we, n- neither of us remember. Whatever the fool says about Regal. I can't Measure your wheat against someone else's bushel? Yeah, something like that. That sounds good to me. But that kind of all changes when you go through something like she went through with the sacking of Dimity Keep and the severe trauma that she went through at the hands of the raiders. She specifically says, everything was taken from me. And that... When she was at the keep and the raiders came, not only did they attack her physically, but there were mental scars that they left from the abuse that they had left on her. And that the people who did the things to her didn't seem to care. It was like they did it to her because it was a thing they could do, not because they necessarily wanted to. They mocked my pain and struggling. Those who watched were laughing as they waited. It's it's something that doesn't leave you. And she's kind of talking about that, how she had always believed childishly in... In honor, if you followed the rules, you know, you would be protected and everything like that. That nothing bad could really happen to you like that. Honor and courtesy and justice. They are not real fits. We all pretend to them and hold them up like shields, but they guard only against folk who carry the same shields. Against those who have discarded them, they are no shields at all but only additional weapons to use against their victims. And I think that this is such a heartbreaking telling. This is someone who has been hurt deeply and their core values have been shaken. That's really hard to come back from. And it is a scary thing to know that in the world, in the wide world, that 
there are people who play by different rules and they Mm -hmm. don't care that you're a minstrel and that you shouldn't harm a minstrel. They don't care that you didn't do anything wrong, that you're not a person of power. It's just a thing they can do, so they do it. And it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. And and Fitz here is kind of stunned because this is really the first time he's heard someone, especially a woman, speaking up about this so bluntly, speaking right. about these things, because he says that things like this, you know, the children that come after the raids, all of that sort of stuff is kind of just brushed over as a very terrible part of that happening, but it's never really talked about. Right. It's just a part of life. So to hear someone talk about how it affects you to go through that, I think is really eye-opening for Fitz. And Starling refuses to go back to camp because she doesn't want to break down in front of everybody else. She's out here confessing to Fitz alone. Yes. So wants to stay out here for a while longer. So Fitz leads her to a wider game trail because right now they're kind of in the middle of the woods and they sit on a fallen log together. And Fitz asks if she's okay. No, I am not, she said shortly. I need to make you understand. I did not sell your child cheaply, Fitz. I did not betray you casually. At first, I did not even think of it that way. Who would not want her daughter to become a princess and eventually a queen? Who would not want lovely clothes and a fine home for his child? I did not think that you or your woman would see it as a misfortune befalling her. Then, even after I knew it would not please you, I did it anyway knowing it would buy me a place here at your side, witnessing whatever it is you are going to do, seeing strange sights no minstrel has ever sung before, like those statues today. Because it was my only chance at a future. I must have a song. I must witness something that will assure me forever of a place of honor amongst minstrels. Something that will guarantee me my soup and wine when I am too old to travel from keep to keep. Couldn't you have settled for a man to share your life and children? I asked quietly. It seems to me you have no problem catching a man's eye. Surely there must be one that... No man wants a barren woman to wed, she said. Her voice went flat, losing its music. And that's kind of the heart of Starling. We've talked about it before, and here it is laid bare by Starling herself. Right. She... In her mind, because she cannot bear children, because of the trauma of her past, needs something to secure her future. Yeah. And in her mind, a child was the only thing that could do that, or a husband before. Right. Unless she gets this song, you know, that that's her way to win a place of comfort and safety. Or of worthiness. Yeah, or of worthiness. Which is so heartbreaking because it's sad that she has to think this way, but as a woman in this time period, there aren't really a lot of options, it seems, for 
women who aren't skilled in much <laughs> to make a living by themselves. And Starling has been trained as a minstrel. I doubt she is skilled in other things. I mean, not that you couldn't learn how to clean or something, but I feel like going from a, being a minstrel to a maid is a bit of a downward trajectory and it would you wouldn't want to do that if you mm -hmm. could help it and right. so why not go for glory and there's probably a little bit of wanting to earn that self-worth back that she feels she has lost taking control of your life again yeah and that's also a big theme in in her life and her decisions as well that she talks on yeah and it's heartbreaking that she feels as though no man would ever want her because she can't have kids. And I guess in a time when, you know, things are the way that they are, where you want to pass on, have children to pass on your family business to or whatever, have an heir mm -hmm. that I could see that being a problem. Six duchies is an unstable land in general. Yes. They're still a bit barbaric, according to Bingtown. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sure it's a little bit harder mm -hmm. if you don't have family or friends. I think that part sticks out the most to me is that she's not going out trying to build a group of friends again. She's not going out with the intention of having a safety net of people that can be in, be there for her or help her. This is it has to be glory or nothing. And I think that's really interesting that that is how she is choosing to deal with this. She's incredibly strong and yes. she survives the attack on Dimity Keep and goes to healers to get herbs to cure herself and rid herself of any evidence of that attack. Right. Because after two months, she finds that there is a potential child on the way. Mm -hmm. And after taking some herbs, they're not working. She tries again. She goes back. The woman tells her, you know, too bad. If they don't work. Then you just have to let it be. So she finds someone else and they give her a different potion and it works, but at the cost of her potential f fertility. Yeah. And she made the decision and moves on with her life. And with that, she says to Fitz, I know you think it slatternly the way I am with men. But once you have been forced, it is different ever after. I say to myself, well, I know that it can happen to me at any time. So this way, at least I decide with whom and when. There will never be children for me. And hence, there will never be a permanent man. So why should not I take my pick of what I can have? You made me question that for a time, you know. Until Moon's Eye. Moon's Eye proved me right again. And from Moon's Eye, I came to Champagne, knowing that I was free to do whatever I must do to assure my own survival. For there will be no man and no children to look after me when I am old. Her voice went brittle and uneven as she said, 
Sometimes I think it were better had they been had they forged me. No, never say that. Never. I feared to touch her, but she turned suddenly and burrowed her, her face against me. I put an arm around her and found her trembling. I felt compelled to confess my stupidity. I did not understand. When you said Burl's soldiers had raped some of the women, I did not know you had suffered that. Oh, her voice was very small. I had thought you deemed it unimportant. I have heard it said in Pharaoh that rape bothers only virgins and wives. I thought perhaps you felt that, to one such as I, it was no more than my due. Fitz is angry at that assumption and himself as well for not realizing how hurt she was and not vocalizing how against what Burl was doing to her, like breaking her fingers or whatever. Right. And, and not speaking up at all. He kind of had assumed that she would understand him being quiet was to prevent Burl from doing anything worse to her than breaking her fingers. Right. And he notes that he had thought that she withdrew their friendship because of the wolf. What had she believed of his distance? And it just really makes him think about all the things left unsaid and how. What? How that must have seemed. A horrible, horrible saying in Pharaoh. Also, yeah, what the heck is wrong with Pharaoh people? Like. Queen um, Desire and Regal. Yeah. As well. but, <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. But it just, can't just come down to the rulers because, geez. Yeah, that's just a saying that everybody said. That's horrendous. And I hope yeah. that no one ever stays in Pharaoh. But like, hey, I guess some people have to. <laughs> but that's the, the first part of the passage I read there is is part of what I was kind of talking about with Starling is that. She is making the choice. She is the one taking control of her life now. And she gets to decide that. And that is how she is living her life. So if she wants to do something, she is going to do it with confidence because she is the one making the decision. And that is on her to do. It's her life. Right. She gets to choose for herself. Yeah. And I mean, really... That's an admirable way to look at things. That is, it is good to do things and feel in control, but I feel as though <laughs> a good therapy session is needed. <laughs> multiple. <laughs> yeah. Multiple, multiple for everyone in the party. Yes. To be honest, yes. literally everybody except for Night Eyes in the party needs <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even Night Eyes maybe <laughs> help with the loneliness, but that's think, true actually. Yeah, <laughs> but I think I think that she is trying her best with the tools that she has available. Yeah, and that she is working really hard to not let this stop her from living. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can be hard that choice to keep going to make your own choices to take your own body back is so hard and she does it and that is a strength to her and 100% i think i think that's part of the thing where 
I get frustrated that sometimes the way she uses her body and the way that she thinks about herself, but also she is doing it as a way to empower herself and to feel in control. And I can appreciate that. And I feel like that is the way that works for her. Mm-hmm. And this passage really made me think about the future series. I think the next Fitz trilogy, the Tawny man where she and Fitz have a relationship and then Fitz finds out that she's actually been married for like a while. <laughs> and this idea that men won't want her because she's barren, like she's never going to have a permanent man. So she might as well just do whatever she wants clearly manifests itself into a very unhealthy relationship style where she has this doting, loving husband and she can't accept that he actually loves her mm-hmm. or that that love is going to stay. So she continuously goes and sleeps with fits. If not more people, we don't know. We know for sure fits, but that's why therapy is good. Yeah. It's why At it's any not, point in your life, because it can start off innocent and then, <laughs> ruin good relationships later for you which i guess it doesn't really ruin because it they stay together yeah they stay together and she they does have get, a child she does get pregnant and then she immediately kind of cuts things off with fits too yeah once she realizes like she's pregnant oh fits is around like hey we can't like do anything <laughs> even though fits already kind of said no we can't do anything right well it's <laughs> it, darling it's her, it's her decision <laughs> yes. right it yeah. has to be come from her to yes. be permanent yes in her life and i think that's really interesting that knowing her future relationship with Fitz and her future husband, that hearing this sentence, it really brought me to, that's probably why she did it. That's probably why even with a husband, she doesn't think any man is permanent. Mm -hmm. So she might as well make whatever choice she wants. So I I thought I'd bring that up because it made me think of it. (laughs) Another part of that kind of characterization of Starling while I was just saying that last comment reminds me of what I call her most annoying feature. And we've talked about <laughs> ad nauseum, her confidence in her decisions. Mm-hmm. I think it relates to that as well. And, and how she lives her life because she is confident in all of the choices that she thinks she has deduced. Not, not only because she is intelligent and can deduce things and figure things out, but right. Because that knowledge or that finding came from herself. I think she's lived this so long trying to embody that, like, I'm taking control of my own life and future now that that decision came from her. So it has to be true in her view, in her life. So her insistence and her knowledge, quote unquote, that the fool is a woman and in love with Fitz has to be true and will not be denied And even though she will apologize to Fitz and say, I will pretend the fool is not a woman and not call the fool a she now, in her mind, she's still correct. Right. Right. Like that's it's not really an apology. So even though that could frustrate some readers, it is coming from that place of this is my decision that I made with the knowledge that I have. So I know it has to be right because that is my life. Yeah. Right. So it it all kind of stems back to that original incident, the red ship Raiders and, and her decisions afterwards to keep on pushing through and living and, and taking control of her own future. Right. And I think it's important to note that 
we can have sympathy for a character and what they've gone through, especially a story as heartbreaking as Starling's. Mm -hmm. And still find her annoying. Yes. And still, (laughs) I mean, she is not this incident that happened to her. She is Starling. Yes. And it does explain why she makes the choices that she makes a lot of the time. Quit being so confident. (laughs) You're wrong. <laughs> you Half can wrong. be wrong. You can be wrong sometimes. It's okay. <laughs> I think it is important to state that I don't think I personally, I don't think Luke feels this way either, but I, I don't think it's, it's that complicated to think of a person in that duality. Of, no, it's not. Yeah. Of like, yes, this horrible thing happened. And clearly that's where this is stemming from. But like, also it's really annoying and you should work on that. Like go to therapy girl. Like, <laughs> so, I, I do want to like make that statement of I, I don't want anybody to feel like we're dismissing this important piece of her in the future or in the past of the choices that she make that we are going to continue to harp on and be annoyed by because like we all know where it comes from for sure now, but like it's still a bad decision just like mm-hmm. with Fitz. Like I love Fitz and he has gone through horrible, horrible things that make him the way that he is. But that doesn't mean I don't think he is an idiot sometimes. Like <laughs> He's our big idiot. Though. It comes from love. It's got a place of love and it's okay to criticize people yeah. who have been through horrible things. Mm-hmm. It, it's okay. <laughs> so just want to put that PSA out there. After Starling talks about that with Fitz, Fitz does come back with, I think, personally, a pretty good reply and, and some great comfort. He says, I have brought much pain into your life, I confessed. Do not think I do not know the value of a minstrel's hands, or that I discount the violation of your body. If you wish to speak of it, I am ready to listen. Sometimes talking helps. Sometimes it does not, she countered. Yeah, I think that's a great response. Mm-hmm. I think that's really big of Fitz to say, hey, some, like an ear yeah, to listen. I'm going to admit that I was wrong and I want you to know out loud from my voice that I understand what happened to you was horrible and, and I'm here yeah, to listen. Exactly. And I will just listen. And you know Fitz is the best listener because he will literally look at you like you're a blank wall. So <laughs> <laughs> he'll let you talk your little heart out. But... <laughs> She continues on saying, the day you stood before us all and spoke in detail of what Regal had done to you, I bled for you that day. It did not undo anything that was done to you. No, I do not want to talk about it or think about it, which I thought before I I quick move on here, I thought was a very good comparison because Starling in that moment as we talked about in that chapter, that it was horrible for Ketrakin to make him do that. Yes. It's the same way as if, I don't want to compare traumas, obviously, but it would be similar to if somebody commanded Starling to relive in detail what happened. Yes. You know, it, it's it's similar traumatic events of somebody's past that they don't want to talk about. Like, sometimes it doesn't help. Right. And sometimes it really, really does with a professional in the room. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Definitely. Professional help is always a good thing. But I think. I think that that sympathy, that commiseration, it was. Yes. Really, really nice to hear from Starling in this as I'm rereading. Yeah. And I think it's really nice that 
not only does Fitz like open up to like, hey, you can talk about it, but he's okay when she says no. Mm-hmm. It, it's not like a, oh, there's no instance in this text of him thinking, does she not trust me enough to tell me more? Right. Yeah, it's, it's just, just a, okay, she doesn't want to talk about it now. Her decision and, and we yeah. move on because Fitz understands. Yeah. He also didn't want to think about it. And, you know, I I guess it's very similar timelines for how long they've been trying to heal from this these mm-hmm. traumatic events that he knows that it's hard and that it is nice to have the option to choose to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, And it, it ends on a great note as well with Fitz saying, I do not confuse what was done to you with who you are, I offered. When I look at you, I see Starling Birdsong, the minstrel. She nodded her face against me, and I knew it was as I surmised. She and I shared that fear. We would not live as victims. I said no more than that, but only sat there. I think it is really sweet that Fitz says out loud, like, you're still Starling. Mm-hmm. Like, this doesn't change you. That is just something that happened to you. Yeah, it's it's definitely something that we had talked about just a little bit ago. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it is the sentiment that you need to hear. Yeah. Like, that... You are not defined by what happens to you in the past. You're defined by who you choose to be. Yes. And I think it's really great that Fitz does that, especially because earlier in this chapter, we were talking about how bad Fitz is. I specifically was talking about how bad Fitz is about saying things out loud. He just expects people to know how he feels. And in this moment, he is so grown up (laughs) our little baby boy flying out of the nest and he is there in a way that is really important and i think it's a really good example to use in real life with friends and family members or loved ones that you know to like let people know that if they have something that's happened to them and they talk to you about it like they just want you know to know that you still like them for them and that you're not thinking of them as the victim any at Mm -hmm. all yeah and i don't know i think that's really great that they can bond over this and that Mm -hmm. this is something that fitz recognizes that he also has a fear of yeah and i don't know i think it really helps them in their friendship definitely and with this conversation fitz has a realization that All this time they have been working towards Verity coming back and that this is going to be the saving grace and that they're going to save the six duchies. But for some people, it's going to be too late that the saving is coming too late and it doesn't matter that they're doing it now because the bad things have already happened and that can't change this. And at the end of this, for the people that they do save... He's looking forward to maybe having a life of his own, but for some people, they are kind of pigeonholed yeah. in one direction because of this conflict, because of what has happened. So it's kind of heavy thoughts while it's falling to full dark yes. and he wants to uh, head back. It also says that as they sit together, he felt her her pain bleed over into me. And... I think 
I, I don't know, but I read this as him opening the wit to her and being like vulnerable for her because I think he puts up such a wall around people so that he doesn't have to feel their pain or what they're thinking. And I think this is another way for him to be open and vulnerable for yeah. her, to be there for as, her as a friend and to not just metaphorically feel the pain, but to literally feel her pain with her. Which is I can see that. I don't know if yeah. that would affect her at all. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I think that it's quite possible. Yeah, but I think there's just like a thing that he knows he's doing. Again, who knows if he thinks about the way the, the wit affects him versus other people. But I thought it was a nice sentiment. So as Fitz says that we should be getting back to camp, Starling sighs and says, be with me. She said simply, just for here and just for now, with gentleness and friendship, to take the other way. Give me that much of yourself. I wanted her. I wanted her with a desperation that had nothing to do with love and even, I believe, little to do with lust. She was warm and alive, and it would have been sweet and simple human comfort. If I could have been with her and somehow arisen from it unchanged in how I thought of myself and what I felt for Molly, I would have done so. But what I felt for Molly was not something that was only for when we were together. I had given Molly that claim to me. I could not rescind it simply because we were apart for a time. I did not think there are words that could make Starling understand that in choosing Molly I was not rejecting her. So instead I said, Night Eyes comes. He has a rabbit. Starling asks a little bit more, or tells him, asks him to send him away, send Night Eyes away, and Fitz kind of has to reply, I could not send him far enough away where he wouldn't understand what was happening. And she's a bit taken aback, saying like, oh, you you share everything, including what I said to you, because she kind of bared herself open in speaking that that's that's what she jumps to. That's her that's her vulnerability there. And Fitz has to reassure her he understands his own his own way not as a human would so right it's basically not. saying you don't have to worry about him blabbing to everybody yeah. you know it's <laughs> your secret is safe with me yeah and she immediately asks how molly feels about all this mm-hmm. sharing they have a little little probing questions back and forth where fitz is trying to brush her off <laughs> yeah so now it's an unexpected territory so fitz has to say admit i guess that molly didn't know and so starling asks what's gonna happen when she does know and will she just accept it probably not i muttered <laughs> <laughs> but then starling says what if she chooses if she asks you to choose between her and the wolf And Fitz hates this. And so he says, well, if you tell her, then I guess I'll come to it when I come to it. Yeah, he says a whispered voice inside me. If you tell Molly the truth, it will come to that. It must come to that. You are going to tell her, aren't you? Starling relentlessly asked me the one question I was hiding from. I don't know, I said grimly. Oh, she said. Then after a time, she added, when a man says that, it usually means, no, I won't. But from time to time, I'll toy with the idea so I can pretend I was eventually intending to do it. Would you please (laughs) shut up? There was no strength in my words. 
Starling followed me silently. After a time, she observed, I don't know who to pity, you or her. Both of us, perhaps, I suggested stonily. I wanted no more words about it. Yes, so... He's also running from decisions and future yes. thoughts. And Fitz is just dreaming his, his romantic way. We haven't talked about how of a romantic Fitz is. His optimistic while. future where he's just going to have a life of his own. And uh, Molly is just going to accept Night Eyes uh-huh. and Fitz for who he is. Does he ever tell Molly? Because by the time he gets back with Molly, Night Eyes is has dead. passed away. Yeah, yeah so... He, I think he tells her that he's witted, but he never has a partner after that. Yeah, but I... I could be wrong. He could have kept it a secret, but I think he like, tells I think, her. I think she knows he's witted, but I don't yeah. know if he tells her ever Or if it's like Night the I witted share. bastard kind yeah. of thing. Just kind of like an unspoken, I know this, but we don't have to talk about it. Mm, I think she's open about, or he's open about it. Okay. Okay. But I... But again, I just don't think he tells her the details. No. Yeah. I don't. Oh, I hate that. I hate that so much. That is like a little shady fits. Maybe don't do that. But I don't think it's shady. I think it's just mm. him being very shut in. About I hate it. I hate it so much that he doesn't tell her. I didn't like that. He didn't tell her. I just think I don't then. like your descriptor of shady as it's like malicious. I I don't think it's a malicious intent. I think it's just him hiding from what he should confront. I don't yeah. think it's done with maliciousness. I think it's done out of fear. And it That's, is a bad thing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think he's purposely being shady. Yeah. But I think his actions are shady. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I don't think he's purposely doing it with malicious intent, but it doesn't matter if he intends it to be malicious because it is a little bit. So, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter because it's done. It's over. They're fake people. So they, they're not real. <laughs> but it is something that Fitz is we could, struggling with. We could just say that about the whole podcast. That's well, true. It's done. <laughs> they're cares? fake. They're not real. It's... You know what? Honestly, why dig any deeper? They're not real people. <laughs> <laughs> and yet here we are. I'm going to keep doing it. It's fine. 95 episodes in? Yeah, 95 episodes. Oof. <laughs> Oof. I mean, hey. They head back to camp, and the fool is on watch, and he greets them as a as a friend, not with any barbs, not pointing out if he can notice that Starling was crying or not, or anything like that. Just friendly greeting, like, hey, how was the hunting? I, kind of ignores the rest. I do want to say, Fitz always seems somewhat surprised at the fool whenever he doesn't... Throw a barb? Do or, that? Or, yeah. Like, like... and. I mean, obviously, he did start off this chapter by kicking Starling while she was down twice in a row, (laughs) where he, like, specifically was making fun of her. But I feel like that's different because what he was making fun of her for was the assumptions that she was making about him. It was more about his identity. Whereas if you see somebody crying, I feel like making fun of somebody for crying when you can clearly tell they have been upset is like a step below that that's way worse and yeah. i don't think it's that surprising that fitz or the fool has a little bit of a conscience like, it, it could be that fitz hasn't really picked up on the nuance of when the fool makes fun of people which i don't true. think he has but it also there's two other options one it could be that the fool is 
you know, I, which I think is true, is that he does have a conscious. He is aware of what's too far and, mm-hmm. and you know, social cues. But it's not out of the realm of possibility in my mind that he could have made a tryst joke right there. Oh, how was your tryst in the woods? True. Two, like, it's yeah. I would not be surprised if that was another possible scene that Robin Hobb wrote. Like, I, think, I would not be surprised at all because it sounds yeah. like the fool was a royal dick. Like in the in Buckkeep. <laughs> like to be honest, yeah. To, to everyone around him who probably deserved it. But yes. still, it sounds like his job was to be the professional dick yeah. <laughs> and make fun of everybody. <laughs> I'm sorry. The professional plumbing. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. It was, it was a professional dangle. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think he w- might have made a joke like that if it weren't if it was just Fitz coming back angry right. and Starling being normal. But yes. like seeing the tears on her, he's like, oop. That feels too real. I'm going to leave that alone. (laughs) And I wonder, so at the beginning of the chapter, the fool made a comment that for a while, Starling confided in him. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if she told him what happened to her. Possibly. I mean, we have no way of knowing. The fool doesn't really talk about Starling. He wouldn't open that up either. Also... I don't know that Fool ever really talks about Starling ever again. Like, she appears in the next he d- he couple does. series. He does. He warns Fitz about her, I think, uh, when the Fool visits Fitz in his cabin and, they, and he right. stays for a while. He warns that, like, no, she's just visiting because she can say that she's with Lord Fitzchivalry at some point, you know? Right. Like, the same kind of warnings, as always, that she's still the minstrel she always was. and Right. But, I mean... Long term, I don't like outside of her being brought up by Fitz. Mm. I don't think he really thinks about her outside of that. (laughs) No, because she has she becomes relegated to a a tertiary character rather than just a side character, you know? Yeah, that's fair. She's just a reoccurring face once in a while at (laughs) that point. I feel like they just hate each other and they're never going to not. And then and with that, the fool just stops thinking about her if she's not in the vicinity and Starling thinks about him a lot. (laughs) Because that seems to be their personalities. Goes into the tent to settle down and Starling once again settles against Fitz's back and he assumes that she has forgiven him then. It's a little companionship going to sleep and Fitz says that Eventually, he does fall asleep and dream his own dream. He sets up walls, but manages to dream that he sat by Molly's bed and watched over her as she and Nettle slept. The wolf was at his feet, while in the chimney corner, the fool sat on a stool and nodded to himself, well pleased. Kettle's game cloth was spread on the table, but instead of stones, it had tiny statues of different dragons in, in white and black. The red stones were ships, and it was my move. I had the piece in my hand that could win the game, but I only wished to watch Molly sleep. It was almost a peaceful dream. It's also a little ominous. Yeah. Because it kind of mirrors the situation. First, I, I don't think this is a skill dream in no. any sense. I think it's an actual dream, but it's it's used with literary kind of 
as like a foil to what's actually happening. Right. Because not necessarily like a foil. I use that in whatever. Anyways, it's <laughs> been a while since I was in school. It's uh, it parallels what's happening in real life quite nicely because Fitz does just want to watch Molly and Nettle. Mm-hmm. He does want to look in there, but he's holding the winning piece and he has to make his move and ignore Molly and Nettle to do so. True. So, it, like to me, it feels like he'll lose the game if he looks in on Molly and Nettle, and if he doesn't and focuses on the game, he can win. See, okay, I was wondering if this was some sort of prophetic dream. I don't know how that would work because it doesn't really tell anything about the future. It, it does it in has, a way. It has a feel to it a little bit, yeah. but I feel like it's more for the reader's sake rather than just like, this is something <laughs> that a fits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Interesting dream because he hasn't had a normal one for a while that's described. So. Right. True. No, it is a really interesting way to end it. And also foreshadowing because his in his hand is the way to solve the problem. Um, his blood that he uses on his hand to wake up the stone dragons. So, <laughs> yeah, this is wild. This is a wild chapter. Yeah, it's good for tensions to ease, hopefully a little bit in the group going forward. Right. As we had talked about last chapter in both episodes, This chapter is a lot about Starling and Mm -hmm. her relationship with the whole world and her relationship with Fitz and and why things were happening as they were. So it's a really good chapter, even though it's hard to read through and and visit some of those, those stories of her life. It's really important to understand her character and, and why she makes the decisions she does because that affects Fitz and it, it, She's a character that does pop up again and again in in the beginning of the next trilogy, too. Right. No, it's definitely um, a chapter that's hard to read and almost even harder to talk about. (laughs) Just because we try to keep things light here and make jokes and this isn't really a joking matter. And these are these are heavy books. Yeah. In general, Robin Hobb does not write lighthearted comedies no. you know this <laughs> i don't know i would love i would love a lighthearted comedy starring fitz and the fool and even never starling honestly nope no <laughs> fitz would never be involved in those books. no <laughs> <laughs> no he'd probably have to wear too many silly outfits so <laughs> true too many sleeves too much lace you know a few bells thrown in just because oof, oof rough one <laughs> Thank you so much for listening along with us. Thank you so much for your contributions, your theories, your thoughts on these series. Thank you so much for all of the nice words that you send our way and your feedback. And if you want to leave more of that, you can email us at isfitshappy at gmail.com. Or you can message us on any of our social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or any of the other podcast applications and and reviews and things like that. All of those links are on our website, isfitshappy.com. Okay, well, after that heavy episode, I think it's time to lighten some things up with some listener comments. 
this week we're going to start off with a comment slash DM that we got from listener Cindy. And the question was, if we have ever seen a connection between the wit and an, the autism spectrum, which I thought was a really interesting idea. I've seen discussions about autism and how it relates to Robin Hopp's books and, and seen be in that conversation, which we can have, you know, when we get to those books, but right. th- it is an interesting connection with the wit. I don't have very much experience researching or knowing uh, anybody who is on the autism spectrum, but what I do know about it is that the growing up and the, the different developmental, you know, ways that Fitz is in society and and how he responds to things and how nonverbal he is as a child and how I don't know, how he fixates on a, a couple things that seems to link together but i again i don't have any sort of (laughs) educational knowledge in in this subject matter but it's an interesting topic yeah um i would say that i'm also not someone who is trained to know a ton about the autism spectrum um i have like a baseline knowledge because i did technically go to school to be a teacher so (laughs) i did a little bit of research to make lesson plans that are inclusive but above a cursory level knowledge, I don't really know much. Um, However, I thought it was really interesting from the standpoint of, I personally have always looked at the wit as more of a, like more akin to something on the sexuality spectrum. Yeah. I've seen that a lot as well. Yeah. And I definitely, I don't think I originated that idea. I think I saw it somewhere and it really stuck with me. Mm -hmm. And the reason I had always thought of it that way is because it's something that you are born with that others you from the rest of society that some people don't understand. And that like, because rumors have been spread about how it works and you depravity and it's, you should be ashamed. And yeah. And so I think I related to it in that way, but then I guess that's kind of how autism is too. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think with that broad definition, I think it fits well with that too. Yeah. Where it's just, who you are and their misgivings and people don't understand. And it's just who you are and to you it's normal and it seems normal, but to other people it's weird and it doesn't, doesn't make sense. And it's something you should hide and be shameful of. This is one thing that I freaking love about books too. (laughs) Uh, And, and the way that Robin Hobb has written this one, just that one aspect can be interpretive by somebody's experiences in different ways and they're all valid and they all make sense. Right. You know, just somebody having the wit and going through those same emotions can be related to so many different experiences. Maybe it's related to being a a nerd or something like that, you know, (laughs) having, having some sort of hobby that you were bullied for or thought it was shameful growing up, you know, something as innocuous as that. Or it could be, you know, exactly what we've been talking about and something that you were literally born with. You can't change, but you were also told it's shameful and you have to hide it and it's disgusting or or you're made fun of or, you know, you're different because of it. Right. You know, there, there's a lot of similarities all over the board there. And I, I, I don't think that any sort of interpretation would be wrong. So it's a really interesting connection that you brought up, Cindy, and I... I 
do appreciate the the thought there because I hadn't really branched out too much on that before besides seeing the theory of it being about your sexuality. Yeah, no, I think it's really fun to be able to bring a new perspective in too because I also haven't seen it in relation to the autism spectrum on my own or in posts before. And that could just be because I, it doesn't resonate with me as much. So I, it doesn't stick out to me whenever I see it in a post, but this just made me think. And so I thought, Oh, this would be such a good mm-hmm. discussion to bring to the group as a whole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so thank you, Cindy. We also have a comment from Ellen on episode 93, chapter 29, part one. <laughs> <laughs> About how initially Ellen was thinking through read-throughs that she was looking for when the fool was going to be taken over by the coterie and kind of prying for information. And how initially when reading through that chapter, they thought that the what we thought was the elf bark influence, or at least I thought was the elf bark influence, being really down and kind of being very cynical about things might have been the Coterie's influence, but did like our contribution that it could be the elf bark speaking there instead. Right. It's kind of a toss-up in my mind. I still kind of stick with the elf bark because that pretty much straight up relates with, you know, down in spirits, and it didn't seem too much like digging for information. Right. For me, but it is a good thought that the Coterie could start trying to pry at other people around Fitz. So... I hadn't thought about it as something that they would do earlier because I just assumed they didn't even think about the fool until he used yeah. the skill to be on the road. That could I be too. I imagine it's like lighting up a beacon. I mean, the way I've been imagining it this whole time is that the skill works that whenever you're using it, if somebody's looking for you, they see a beacon light up, which can't <laughs> be true because Fitz has used it and not necessarily been caught every single time that he knows of, so that we know of. Yeah. But however you want to imagine yes. it works. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so I figure since Fool is so new that it would be super noticeable, <laughs> whereas like Fitz kind of knows to hide his tracks. I don't know. It's just yeah. so that was my thought process in it having to be after this, but yeah, but it's an also interesting thought that maybe the Coterie is trying to find other people than just Fitz. Right. So, thank you, Ellen, for that comment. Yes. And finally, we have a DM that was sent to us from listener Tulin about episode 93. The question that I asked, which is, what do you think makes the fool and fits so different despite the similarities in their upbringing. Yeah. And they had a really interesting take and it essentially boiled down to that fits has never been good enough. And the fool has never been perceived at all or as yeah. telling the truth. The as fool in like, is not. Yeah. As in they're defined by others as fits almost but not enough and the fool is defined by what he is not yes and described in the books as what he isn't Mm -hmm. and it's really interesting so the thought behind fits is just that he specifically says halfway into his dragon i have never been enough for anything and that 
He's chivalry's son, but not legitimate. Skilled, but can't use his skill properly. Witted, but doesn't know the old blood rules. He's royal, but not royal enough. And it's just everything stacked one on top of the other, and he just feels so inadequate. And everybody leaves him eventually and it's just piling onto this feeling of him Mm -hmm. not ever being able to live up to the thing that people want of him which i think is one of the similarities that that last part is is one of the similarities with the fool that he has Mm -hmm. but the way that they are perceived is much different which tulin gets into a little bit further down about the fool but i thought that was so interesting because that specific part reminded me also of the fool's kind of character development and progression is that a lot of people don't think he's quite enough, you know, of anything. Yes. Yeah. And then more specifically with the fool, just that he's never believed that he isn't believed by his teachers when he tells them that they're the white prophet. The pale woman doesn't think that he is a prophet Fitz doesn't even think he's a prophet. He's just nothing that he does works. And he has a lot of the answers, but it doesn't matter because he's yelling them into the void, essentially. Mm -hmm. Even Ketrickin doesn't take him seriously as a prophet. I think one of the few people who takes him seriously is Shrewd. Yeah. And that's because he uses everybody as game pieces. So he's not going to overlook somebody who has powerful. But also immediately took him in. Like, that's why Foolhead you know such loyalty to him because he immediately believed him he immediately is like this guy could be important or i just want to care for him because he looks abused right and um they made a really interesting point about how it reminded them of cassandra in greek mythology that how cassandra is a prophet in the in greek mythology who is a real prophet that nobody believes. Yeah. And that, that's how they think Hobb might have started to write about the fool. But instead of who nobody believes, it's just like who who is not believed. It's just who is not. Yes. And that's how they're described. The and, prophet who is not. Yeah. And Tulin goes to list. It's not the white prophet. Not my lover. Not my father. Not skilled. Not witted. No body warmth, no consistent skin color, no permanent name, no family, no home country, no one's sister or brother or child or parent, not even anyone's cousin or uncle. And I'll add to that, no scent. Yes. You know, no yeah. no wit sense. You know, there, there's a lot of different things or like no no life force sense. Not quite like a forged one, but just can't be detected Strangely by the absent. Yeah. Absent. So it's, it's a really interesting comparison because... Fitz has half of all of those things. Yes. But never is full into one role or the other. And the fool is none of those things and defined by that. Yeah. It, it, it is a really interesting take. And I made a comment that I have always thought as of the Fitz and the fool's differences coming from a place of the fool being an active person in his own life and Fitz being more passive where when Fitz is gifted or happens upon a life of his own choosing where he gets to call the shots he is very passive about it and he lives in the moment and he like enjoys that time but he he's not actively working 
towards it when he's not there. And whenever it's threatened to be taken away, he doesn't actively work to get it back. Mm -hmm. He just kind of goes from thing to thing and then laments on the lack of power that he has in his life, even though he doesn't really use power. Whereas the fool is always actively seeking control. So when the fool is surviving life, there are moments when control is taking, taken from him, but those moments are shadowed by him taking control back. He is yeah. actively looking for a way to get out of the situation where he is powerless. Mm -hmm. And so that was always the difference I saw in them. So it was really interesting to see a completely different take where yeah. I think they it, work tandem, yeah. like hand in hand though yeah. too. So it's, yeah, it is interesting to see. Other, I, and it kind of works with yeah, how you would have to act if, if nothing you ever do is good enough, why would you try ever? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you just go with the flow? Because yeah. it doesn't matter one way or the other. It's going to be what it is. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you are never, you are never, <laughs> you just aren't anything, then you have to constantly work to say, okay, well, look at this. I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. And even if it doesn't work, at least you're trying, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. So. Thank you so much for the contribution. That was a yeah great, great, great thought exercise. Yes, uh, so and thanks. I'm loving all the ideas of this being like somewhere in the vein of mythology. We've had a couple people write in yeah. with connections, and so I wonder if Hob is like a big <laughs> myth fan, or she just like likes. I think writers in general have to have a lot of knowledge about different things, especially fantasy writers, because you have to have base knowledge to ground your fantasy in reality to make it believable. Yeah, and that's fair. Realm of the Elderlings is a very believable It's series. very human. I would believe so. that Robin Hobb has lived a, a thousand lifetimes just <laughs> with how many perspectives she can write that are so fleshed out, I guess. She thinks of them all while she's gardening. Yeah. <laughs> what an interesting th a thought to have just about Regal. Just thinking about like pruning tomatoes and like... <laughs> <laughs> Thinking of a character like Regal. So thank you everyone who has written in and who will write in. <laughs> we always enjoy hearing your guys' thoughts and it always gives me so much to think about. I think Luke too, but it really is making this series richer for the depth and the color that we get to give it with everybody else's perspective too. So thank you guys for reaching out. 